This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. God loves Israel. He calls Israel beloved. Regardless of the fact that God called them a stiff-necked people, regardless of the fact they rejected the Messiah, regardless of the fact that now they're enemies of the gospel, God loves the nation of Israel. He loves the nation of Israel. Can we believe otherwise? Is not God the God of love? Of course he is. Is there a man or any man, regardless Jew or Gentile, that he doesn't? It's impossible. He loves all. He doesn't hate any man. It's not in his being. It's just not him. Today, Pastor Eddie will be reminding you how much God loves the nation of Israel. Even though they turned away from him again and again, his promises remained and his love never failed. God loves you too. It's the same love that he has for the children of Israel. After all, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're his child too. God makes promises to you as well, and he will keep them. Let him embrace you and love you as only he can. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Romans chapter 11 with today's edition of Running the Race. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 15 and 16, He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The Jews would have to flee and run for their lives because the Antichrist is in the holy of holies and he's out for the nation of Israel. Now, this is important. At the end of the seven years, this is why I'm giving you this between verses 25 and 26. Unto the fulfillment of the Gentiles has come. We have been raptured, caught up. And at the end of the seven years, Jesus will return again. This would be his second return. The first time he came, the Gospel of John tells us he came to his own. His own knew him not. He was rejected by his own. As a matter of fact, they crucified him. We all crucified him. But when he comes a second time, because they're already, at this point, they're hiding. They have flee to places. Many believe Petra. See, it's the place where they would go. And after they realize, we missed the mark. We're hiding. We've been through this before. This Gentile savior He's supposed to be a Jewish Messiah. Yes, he's the one. But when he comes the second time, Zechariah 12, 10, they say they're going to look on him whom they pierced. Zechariah 12, 10, it says, And I will pour on the house of David and on his habitat of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and the supplication. Then they will look on me. Israel will look to Jesus whom they've pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for the firstborn. The same cry would be as the days when Jesus was in Jerusalem as a babe, 
And Herod went out to kill the first, not the first, the young, any young kids, the same cry is going to be when they see Jesus Christ. John in his gospel quotes this uh, prophecy in John chapter 19, verse 33. He says, they shall look at him whom they've pierced. Now, when all Israel sees them at this point, their eyes will be open. Their eyes will be open. No longer will they be blinded spiritually. No longer will they be hard of hearing. No longer will they have, in verse 8 of chapter 11, when Paul says, a spirit of stupor. They have been given a spirit of stupor. That will be removed from them. They're going to realize, yes, all those Gentile Christians are not on the face of the earth. They've been what they call rapture. We had built the temple and it's been defiled. It's no longer there. All of Israel, this is what going to happen. This is what they're going to see. This is where they are right now. So now that brings us to verse 26. Verse 26, what does he say? And so all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. And you think, someone like Martin Luther, who's great in our history, how did he miss this? All of Israel will be saved. When it says all of Israel, it doesn't mean that every individual in the nation of Israel will come to Christ, but that the nation as a whole will be saved. Because right now, the nation as a whole has not accepted Christ. Though we have individuals, we have Messianic Jews in our church. Full Jews, mother and father Jews, raised up Jewish, and have found Messiah. So he says in verse 26, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. He's quoting Isaiah 59, verse 20. Let's read that. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 20 says, The Redeemer, or the Deliverer, is referring to Jesus Christ, will come to Zion, that is Jerusalem, and those who will turn from transgressions in Jacob is speaking of Israel, says the Lord. It would happen when he comes. But Jesus Christ is going to come. And on his right thigh, he's going to say, Lord of lords. He's going to be the king of kings, Lord of lords. Verse 27, he says, for this is my covenant with them. God made a covenant with them. When I take away their sins, he's going to take away their sins. Before, they made their sacrifices. They were sacrificed animals, and, and it only covered the sin. But there's only one blood that could take away the sin, and that is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. But here he says, he's quoting Isaiah 59, verse 21. It says, for this is my covenant with them. He made a promise to them. I will take away their sins. It's not a covering, it's a taking away. And God has promised to save his people. God has promised to save his people, and God keeps his promise with his people. Verse 28, he says, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. (laughs) You just picture that. They're enemies for your sake. Jews are enemies in that they reject the good news. The good news is what? The gospel, the gospel of Christ. Now, they're enemies of the gospel. They're not enemies of the church, you see. You may find that in early first century in the history of the church. But they're not enemies of the church. And that's why when I share to, you know, the gospel with Jews, I don't use the term church. Because to a Jew today, you know what church? If you say church, you know what they're thinking about? The Holocaust. Because the Catholic Church were really supporting it. 
the priests would go through the ghettos with their cross in the ghettos where the Jews were as the Jews were being persecuted. So when you say church to a Jew, they're thinking Holocaust. Just letting you know that's the history. So I say congregation. I'll say the chapel because I want to keep them, you see. I want to share the Messiah. Tell them that I have your Messiah in my heart. But they're not against the church, they're against the gospel. It's the same ways that we have the world is against the church today. We're the minority nowadays, aren't we? And it's not just the Jews, so it's not a Jew thing, but we're keeping this in context here because we know that there are people who hate the gospel and enemies of the gospel because, as a matter of fact, we were enemies at one time, were we not? We were enemies with the Lord, with God. Keeping this in context again, we're dealing with the nation of Israel because the fact that they are enemies of the gospel, we Gentiles benefit from this. He's, we're echoing verse 11 in Romans chapter 11, verse 11. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? But in the term meaning that they stumbled permanently, Paul says, certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. You make them jealous. You tell them, I have your Messiah in my heart. Is going to make them jealous. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the Father. You see, the election here, the word election is important for us because we have those with a Calvinistic view, background, thinking that some are elected, some are predestined, some are predestined to go to heaven, some are predestined to go to hell. That's hyper-Calvinism, not, not all Calvinists. But the election is not only applied to Gentiles. We always think it's only applied to Gentiles. This is important for you students who want to understand, who want to interpret end-time prophecy, especially when you get to Matthew chapter 24, because Paul has used this in the past. In verses 2 and 10, we saw this last week. He's referring to the remnant of Jews. They're the elected, right? We only think that elected only apply for Gentile Christians. No, it's also we see that he's referring to Gentiles. They're elected. Now, matter of fact, turn with me to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, I don't have this in my notes, but I think when we look at Matthew 24 and people who are, I'm a pre-tribber, I've always say, I'm so pre-trib that I don't eat post-sweeties. Or, but these are for mid-tribbers that think that we're going to go through the persecution. Um, and you can see when Christ talks about the end times, the great tribulation in this passage, he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man. Now, we already see the fulfillment of the Gentiles. The fulfillment of the Gentiles will take place. That's when God is going to deal with Israel again. Israel as a whole. We're raptured up, remember. We're in heaven. We're having this honeymoon. Seven years we're celebrating the marriage up in heaven while seven years of great tribulation down here. What's going to happen down here and towards the end of that great tribulation, Jesus said, look at verse 29, Matthew 24, verse 29. It says, immediately after the tribulation, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Remember when they saw Zechariah? They saw Jesus? Every tribe, all the twelve tribes will see him. And they will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. 
of heaven with power and glory. And he will send his angels, here it is, he will send his angels with a great sound of trumpet, and they will gather his elected. There is elect from the four winds from the ends of heaven to the other. So when you look at, for you students, take this home. The last study in verses 2 to 10 in chapter 11, also you'll see in Isaiah 45 verse 4, and you see in this passage that Israel has been called the elect. But when you get to this passage, people will say, well, you see, we're going to go through the great tribulation because the elect are being called out. But what elect is he talking about? He's talking about the electing of the Jews. So that's why people say, wait, Matthew 24 doesn't go together with the sequence, the, the God's divine outline when you look at Revelation. We're not appointed to wrath. And if you want to know more about that, we're about to approach chapter 4. We're going to do a whole study on the rapture. People say, oh, rapture's not in the Bible. Well, it depends on what translation you're reading. If you read the Latin Vulgate, it's ratus. In the Greek, it's harparsio. But because in the English, it's two words caught up, we think that we don't have a single word in English to say harparsio or ratus. We take it from the Latin translation. We call it rapture. But we're not subject to wrath. We're already caught up. So the elect, God is going to deal. So he says, but Concerning the elect, this is important. Concerning the elect, they are beloved for the sake of the father, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But concerning the election, they are beloved. God loves Israel. He calls Israel beloved. Regardless of the fact that God called them a stiff-necked people, regardless of the fact they rejected the Messiah, regardless of the fact that now they're enemies of the gospel, God loves the nation of Israel. He loves the nation of Israel. Can we believe otherwise? Is not God the God of love? Of course he is. Is there a man or any man, regardless Jew or Gentile, that he doesn't? It's impossible. He loves all. He doesn't hate any man. It's not in his being. It's just not him. But God so loved the world. And God teaches us, if he teaches us to love, wouldn't he set the perfect example of loving himself? Yes. He said, for when they crucified him, he cried out, God, forgive them, for they not know what they do. They know not what they do. So why would God hate Israel? Why would God hate Israel? Why would the church be ignorant of the fact that God still has a plan for Israel? Why is the church today not speaking of this plan and including Israel? We think that you know, again, when a Jew gives their life to Christ now, they join us. No, we didn't, they didn't join us. They're complete. We're joining them. Remember, we're grafted into the olive tree. We forget that this book right here is a Middle Eastern book. It's a Middle Eastern book. We're so caught up in our Western culture, and we try to interpret it with our Western culture mind in our own opinion, and we lose the proper translation, biblical definition, and the prophecies, interpreting the prophecy. I mean, we can expect the world to hate us, to hate, to hate the Jews, but that should not be of us. The Lord said in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8, he says, For he who touches you, speaking to Israel, touches the apple of his eye. We mess with Israel. And let me tell you something, I don't understand why we, you know, every nation that exists throughout history have never really looked 
at the history of Israel being persecuted over and over again. And those, where are those nations now? Anybody have heard of Edomites? No. They don't exist today. Are the pyramids? They're still standing what once was a thriving, powerful nation. The Holocaust, over and over again, those that mess with Israel has, has felt the pain and, and in pretty much what the Lord said, I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. It has not been lifted. It was a one-way covenant. It wasn't a two-way covenant. It was a one-way covenant. And so God loves Israel and he sovereignly chose the fathers. Here he's speaking about the fathers, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he made a covenant with them and he will carry through with his promises. Let us look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. In other words, although Israel has failed, Israel has rejected the Messiah, the gifts and the call are irrevocable. God doesn't change his mind. I mean, we change our mind. We lose our mind and we change our mind. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't take back his words. He doesn't make mistakes. That's why when you hear the term written in stone, when God gave the laws, he wrote it in stone, and Moses carried those stones. Because the stones, you can't erase it. There's no erasers. Is written and what he says, he doesn't make mistakes, he doesn't change his mind. And so the calling and the gifts and the calling are irrevocable. God, uh, it, it doesn't take him back. Now to keep this in context, keep it in context, 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 context. When it comes to the gifts and the calling, it's not referring to spiritual gifts. Yes, there are spiritual gifts, but it's not referring to the spiritual gifts here. Paul is speaking about the promises he gave to Israel, those promises that God has not taken back. What are those gifts? We saw them in chapter 8. We saw them in chapter 9. In chapter 8, it applies to all. In Romans chapter 8, verse 30, he says, Moreover, he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Concerning Israel, they were blessed with these gifts. And the calling, the calling to be a nation, to carry the oracles of God, the covenants of God. In Romans chapter 9, verse 4, he says, Who are Israel, to whom pertain the abduction, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the service to God, who can only go in the temple and serve God, and the promises. So he's speaking about those gifts and calling that God has called Israel to be a nation. Once God made an unconditional, is an unconditional covenant, a covenant he's made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he never goes back on it. He made a covenant with them. And that covenant is an everlasting covenant. We see many covenants in Scripture. You know, when God said, if you will obey my laws and my commands, you know, you will be my people and I will be your God. But you have to obey those laws. But prior to God giving the nation of Israel laws, he made an everlasting covenant with Abram, who is now Abraham. And the promise he made to Abram in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, the Lord said, I would establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in the generations for a what? Everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. God is still the God of Israel. 
And it's an everlasting covenant. It's a one-way covenant. In other words, Israel didn't, it wasn't conditional based on Israel, or whether they're going to sin or reject God. It wasn't a condition whether or not Abraham was going to continue to be a father of faith. It was all based on what God has promised to Israel. This is my promise to you. And he kept that promise. And to prove that he kept that promise, what happened when the Lord said, I will multiply your descendants like the stars in the sky? Unconditional covenant, right? What happened after 10 years waiting? Sarah said, listen, I can't wait any longer. We're supposed to have a son, you know? I waited 100 years. What's going on? Well, you know, here's my maidservant, Hagar. Abraham, you lay with her. He didn't argue. He should have argued. He didn't argue. And guess what? The child we have from her will be our son. God didn't want it that way. That was by the flesh. God wanted it to be supernatural. But guess what? Here's the point. God's promise still remained because how many Arabs do we have in this world? Just as much as Jews. You see, the seed of Abraham was blessed. It was a covenant God made to Abraham. He didn't say, well, okay, you messed up, Abraham. That's not what I had in mind. But, Lord, you didn't say I had to do something. No, you know, it was a one-way covenant. And because God made that promise to Abraham, as much as he didn't want Ishmaelites and Ishmaels, they had to multiply as much as through Isaac and Jacob. Now, saints, you know what? This is an amazing thing for you and I to understand because it just shows how amazing is the God that we serve. How awesome and graceful is the God we serve. Because if the God we serve didn't take back those gifts and calling and promises for the nation of Israel, he's not going to take it from you. If he made a promise to you, he's going to keep it. He's going to keep it. He never changes. Even... When Israel was faithless, they didn't trust in the Messiah. They didn't trust in Jesus. They were faithless. God never changed. God remains faithful. They were unfaithful. God still remains faithful. You're unfaithful with the Lord in your worship to him. He still remains faithful to you, you see. And that's because God cannot deny his very nature. He can't deny his very nature. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 Paul writes to Timothy, he said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. He remains faithful. And so that's an assuring thing to know that we serve a covenant-keeping God. We serve a God that makes promises. And the promise he made to us when we accepted Christ as Lord, a person, and Savior, he said, I will go prepare a place for you. And let me tell you, he's preparing a place for us. And if he's coming to prepare a place for us, it's not for the place to be empty. He's coming back to get us. Verse 30. He says, For as you were once disobedient to God. Remember when we were once disobedient? Remember we were once enemy with God? Our minds were enmity with God? This is your BC days before your Christ, before you met him. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy. God was merciful towards you. The book of Romans gives us a unique review of scriptural doctrine. As we continue to learn from this New Testament book, we'll also discover the gospel's powerful message throughout and discover practical life application with it as well. We pray Eddie's message on running the race has been an encouragement to you and that you're eager to learn more about the gospel message and how it applies to you. We'd like you to know that we pray for you regularly here at Running the Race, and we're so glad that you are one of our listeners. 
We'd also like to encourage you to find a local church where you can be part of a community that's growing together in faith. With that in mind, here's Tracy. Maybe you're listening right now in Milford, Pennsylvania, and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. For more information, call us at 570-296-7367. That's 570-296-7367. Or log on to runningtheraceradio.com and click on service times. Thanks, Tracy. That website once again is runningtheraceradio.com. While you're there, you can also listen to more messages by Eddie or download them to take with you on the go. That's all we have for today, but join us again for more on the Book of Romans right here on Running the Race. I'm